0: Colossians 2 and verse 13 is where we're turning this morning again and studying the last half of that. Do you know perhaps the greatest need that we have as humans is not food. It's not even breathing air. It's not water. It is forgiveness. We need God to forgive us. And if he if we don't have forgiveness of God, then we, what we have in this life is nothing compared to the disaster that is awaiting us, the wrath, the condemnation that is ours in Christ because we deserve it. We need God to forgive us. In fact, one person said in, in a marvelous, wonderful book, forgiveness is man's greatest need. Without it, he is doomed to spend eternity in hell suffering for his sins. With it, with forgiveness, he will spend eternity in heaven with God, enjoying the eternal fruits of Christ's righteousness. That is the joy that we have. Not clothed in our own righteousness, which isn't really nice at all, but in Christ's righteousness. If I could amend that statement just a little bit, we will spend eternity in the new heavens and new earth with the Lord Jesus Christ and have the celebration that we Don't have any condemnation. We don't fear any judgment from God because he is the one, as Exodus 34 says, he is the one who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet, mind you, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Our God is a righteous judge. He is holy it's probably the only characteristic of God that's repeated three times in scripture. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. God is a righteous, a holy judge. He is a God who, I mean, this is Psalm 7. We think, oh, God is so loving and kind. Well, tell you what, God is a God who has indignation. It's not indigestion. It is indignation, anger, and wrath. Against whom? How can God be so angry? Well, he is, has indignation every day. If a man does not repent, what does God do? He will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow. He has made it ready. He has also prepared himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. What's the issue? If we do not repent, if a man does not repent, woman, boy, girl, does not repent, turn to the Lord, God's judgment is ready. We've mentioned this. We studied it here recently. Psalm 130 says, "If you, Lord, should mark or you know keep a record of iniquities, keep the track of them, O Lord, who could stand? It's nobody. Nobody could stand if God really kept record of sin. Well, wait a minute. He does keep a record of wrongs. And you think how can he do that? It's not loving. Well, because God is a righteous judge, He is judging us according to our works, and in that end day, that last judgment, there will be the books opened, and." another book. And if anyone's name is not read or written in that book of life, then they'll be cast away and judged according to those iniquities that they've uh, uh, done in their lives. But Psalm 130, verse 4 says, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Lest we think, well, uh, other people, other people are worthy of sin. I know some people that are really worthy of God's judgment and they need to be judged. If, you know, God bring it soon. are you right with God? Lest we think, uh, salvation and forgiveness is for other people, let's start with us. Let's preach the gospel to ourselves first. We need to look to Christ. Again, that opening scripture reading, come to me, Jesus says, come to me, look to me. I just heard the uh, telling of the salvation uh, testimony of Charles Spurgeon, a great uh, British preacher from uh, the 1800s. And the, the scripture that he was saved by was essentially, look to me, or or it was actually, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Look to me, look to the Lord. And Jesus says that. We'll see it here in verse thirteen. I'm gonna read in verse beginning at verse eight in Colossians two and then through verse fifteen help us set the, the stage and we'll look uh, at our, our section here. But uh, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and in him you have been filled who is the head over all rule and authority, in whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision made with our hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh, in the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, having graciously forgiven us all our transgressions. Having canceled out their certificate of debt consisting of decrees against this, which was hostile to us, he's also taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them in him. Last time we looked at the beginning part of verse 13 and the desperate situation that unbelievers are in, and we, who are believers in Christ, used to be in. you were dead. In your transgressions, and not not physically. That we say a lot of people who are walking around spiritually, or excuse me, physically alive, their bodies are functioning just fine, but spiritually they are dead and separate from God and estranged from Him and subject to judgment. And as we looked at the effects of sin last week, uh, depraved in mind and engaged in evil deeds, hostile toward God, they are darkened in their understanding. They desire things that cannot satisfy. They find joy in what is evil, what is reproachable and that's what he says here you were dead just like that you were dead in transgressions and he says the uncircumcision of your flesh whereas we looked at the spiritual circumcision we might call in the earlier verse verse 11 here he's talking about the actual physical circumcision the, hey you go back you guys are bunch of gentiles you're not even jewish you have no right to come in to this jewish messiah well and yet you have every right because Jesus is not just a savior for the Jewish nation, but for all people. But he says, you Gentiles, especially, we looked at Ephesians 2, that says, you're in a very difficult situation. You're without God. You're without hope. You're in the world. It's based on your pagan Gentileness. But we notice this. We notice this now today at the end of verse 13. This is what God did. We, being spiritually dead, he made you alive with him. Now, him, of course, or he, Remove the pronouns because sometimes they get confusing. God the Father made us, Gentiles especially, but anybody that puts their faith in him, alive together with the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father made you alive together with the Lord Jesus Christ. God forgave us all our transgressions. Wow. Well, that's some good news right there. He made you alive together with him. God is the one who's acting because we were spiritually dead. We can't respond to God. What We need to be raised up. We need to be given a new heart, a new mind. We are the ones who are the recipients of this action. God made us alive. He is the one who is the great actor. He is the subject of the sentence, if you will. He's the one, the living God. He is the God of the living. This word made you alive with is only used here and in a parallel passage in Ephesians 4 where it says, And again, this is a tremendous little two-word statement in Ephesians 2 and verse 4, saying first in those first three verses that we were dead, spiritually dead. Here, verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. God is the one who makes alive. He is the one who does this work. And he is the one who brings us to a spiritual resurrection. Now, we've been talking earlier about a physical resurrection that we look forward to these bodies that are just wasting away my father-in-law would often say you know as the older i get the more i find body pieces that have just fallen off and oh excuse me as i go back and pick that up uh, just our bodies are wasting away and as much as we try to keep them up and maintain them and make them look beautiful they are dying oh every day there's being renewed yes but that renewal thing is going to be undone Our outer man is decaying, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. The spiritual resurrection he speaks of here in verse 13 is is something that happens to the inner man. We who our bodies are functioning, right? We're living. We have life processes going on and yet spiritually we need to be born again. We need to be raised up. And this is what he says here. does not negate or dismiss a physical resurrection we look forward to that as well it's all part and parcel the spiritual resurrection leads into that physical or the the body of this flesh will be redeemed as well and we will be just like our lord having a resurrection body this idea of life is so central to the gospel because apart from the gospel there is death in, in our normal daily lives, we live in, a, in a, a darkness, we live in a separation from God, and then in the future, there's just an expectation of judgment and condemnation and separation from God. But you know, John 3.16, the Lord Jesus says, God so loved the world, or he loved the world in this way, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have ever, everlasting or eternal life. Life of the ages shall not perish. Now our bodies may waste away. You can read Psalm twenty-three. Uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. And yet, we're probably you know unless Jesus comes very soon, most of us here will die. Our bodies will stop working. We'll put them in the grave or whichever. This perishing is not a physical perishing. This is a spiritual perishing. It's a, that's much more disastrous than. Physical death, spiritual death, well, that's what we are, apart from Christ. We are dead apart from Christ. But he came, Jesus came, that they who believe in him would not perish. Verse 36 of John 3 says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. It's a pretty simple formula right there. He who has the Son has eternal life. There's an opposite mathematical formula there, too. It says, he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So there's that connection. It really boils down to what do you do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he Lord of your life? Is he your Savior? Is he your only hope? Or is he just one option among many? Is he one thing that you add to your life and say, I'm going to do this and the other thing, and I hope, you know, Jesus, I'm thankful. You know, good. Thank you, Jesus. But I got, the, I got this covered. Or as the Galatians said, Paul said to the Galatians, uh, you who have begun by the Spirit, which is to say you've been born again by the Spirit, you've been sealed by the Spirit, you've been uh, all filled by the Holy Spirit, you who began by the Spirit are you now trying to be perfected or sanctified in the flesh by circumcision, by law-keeping, by kosher laws, by all this stuff. No, that was to lead us to Christ. The law is a schoolmaster, a tutor, to lead us to Christ. Look to him. Jesus defined eternal life this way. And this is kind of a heady statement for him to define eternal life, the life of the ages. John seventeen three. this is eternal life. Whoa, I mean, this is going to be good that they may know you, the only true God. He's talking to the Father. John 17 is, is his high priestly prayer, you might call it. Uh, John seventeen three 3 says, uh, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, whom you have sent. So eternal life is not something that is marked by time or the absence of it. It is marked by knowing God. And not knowing God, like, about him. Like, even Satan knows, he knows more about God the Father than we do. Knows more about Jesus than we do. The Holy Spirit, Satan knows more about that than we do. And yet he is not subject to a saving knowledge of God. We, who can draw near through our Lord Jesus Christ, in fact, we looked at it last time, right? And we'll look more carefully in verse 14. Jesus died for us. He paid that penalty for us so that God can... Bring us into His fellowship. We who were not holy can become holy through the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the Scripture said we were dead in our transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Romans six twenty three says the wages of sin. What we earn by our despicable activities, our sinfulness, is death. We can't say, "Well, I didn't do as much bad things, as many bad things as another person." Doesn't matter. You have earned death. Congratulations for your for your efforts. You have earned eternal condemnation. I never I never knew. Well, it doesn't matter. You were born in sin. You conducted your life in sin. You rejected the word of Christ. You have turned away from that gracious gift. You have earned death. And yet, verse twenty three says of Coloss- of Romans six, the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Contrast between something that we earned, which is death, sadness, the gift, a gracious gift. We'll see a very similar idea in this verse, verse 13. A gracious gift, not earned, it is gifted to us. It's generosity of God. We didn't deserve it. Uh, In fact, we deserve the exact opposite, not life, but death. And the gift of God is eternal life uh, through or in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have been made alive together with him. Notice that this salvation is not something that is individual. This is not something that is a one-off situation. You know, he's going to save and and raise up that person and maybe that person over there and some other people. No, the the resurrection is only as we are in unity with Christ. There's no direct... In other words, God does not save individuals that way. He saves through Christ what does Jesus say? No one comes to the Father but through me. We'll have direct access to the Father, but through Christ, only through Christ, is our salvation. So many people would, maybe you, you have known one or maybe you have been one, would say, you know, God and I have a special relationship. Uh, and I don't need Christ. I don't need God's people. I don't need God's word. It's just me and him. I got this special, special deal. No, you don't. No, you do not. You have to come through Jesus just like everybody else. And if you refuse Jesus, then you refuse your only path to the Father. Look to Jesus. It is with him, it is with Christ that we have this salvation, this spiritual and uh, something coming forward to the physical resurrection. Now, this spiritual resurrection is not something we're looking forward to. because Our bodies are still here. Uh, Romans 7 says, who will uh, deliver me from the body of this death? The spiritual resurrection is not something that is contemporaneous or at the same time with a physical resurrection. Otherwise, what hope would we have? We're still in our sins. We're still dead, spiritually dead. Our physical resurrection is coming in the future, but the spiritual revelation resurrection is ours right now for those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 3, unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. There is that new birth that comes at each person's moment of salvation. And that is what we rejoice in, this being made alive together with Christ. Now our resurrection, even spiritually here, is not identical in nature uh, or even pattern with the resurrection of Christ. And Christ is unique, right? He's the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is God come in the flesh. He is a divine spirit joined with a physical human body. So our... was Jesus ever spiritually dead? I guess you want to approach it that way. No, he was never spiritually dead. But we, together with him, because of his perfect life, because he did everything in a manner that pleases, pleased the Father and continues to please the Father, right? How many times do we see in Scripture, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased? I mean, look at this guy. Why don't you be like him for a change? Uh, our elder brother, the Lord Jesus. And yet, attached to Christ, we have we can share in that resurrection. We can share in that life together with him all this is is union union with God union with Christ uh, union with his death and burial and resurrection this is rooted or grounded in the reality that Christ rose again the third day we saw it in the previous verse we believe in the, in the working of God who raised him from the dead notice it says he made you alive together with him that we're talking about these Gentiles these uncircumcised I remember when David King David it wasn't king at that time for Samuel 17, when he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I'll go to him and kill him and knock off his head. Well, it's that disdain that uncircumcised Gentiles, this pagan Gentiles have. And he said, Paul said it here, a good Jewish boy, by the way, Philippians 3, he gave a catalog of all his uh, credentials and whatnot. But he says, he made you, a bunch of Gentiles alive together with him. Now maybe, uh, if you have a uh, King James or New King James translation, maybe your verse says he made us together or he made us alive with him or maybe it says he made alive. Maybe it misses the pronoun entirely. There's some textual variants here and another pronoun I'll show in just a moment. But the point is I think Paul is reaching out to these Gentile brothers specifically because they were being hoodwinked. They were being uh, told that your salvation is is kind of tenuous, it's kind of on the edge, and you need to kind of you know shore it up based on your works, based on some mystical, philosophical kind of things that we have, or worship of angels, or, or like I said, circumcision, uh, keeping kosher, making sure you keep the festivals, the Sabbath, the, the new moons. No. He made you alive together with Christ. There is your hope. Not what you do or you don't do. It is what you have done with Christ. Alive together with him is that idea. You guys are in him. He made us alive together with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this statement or how he describes this idea of being made alive together with Christ is specifically in the idea of forgiving us. God forgave us in Christ. We have a gracious gift. In fact, this is the root of the idea, gracious Graciously forgiven us all. Maybe your translation just says forgiven, but this this word is related to the Greek word for grace. It's all over the place. Uh, you know, the grace of God has done this, or or uh, it's also translated gift. Like in Romans six twenty three, the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, the Lord. It has to do with God's goodwill toward us. Uh, something that is not earned. It's a gift. It is something that is. Uh, uh, well, graciously, generously given, it is not a, a small thing, like a little token or something other. Even the gift of the Holy Spirit, he is a wedding ring. He's given to us a, a seal of His promise that He He's going to fulfill it. We have a complete salvation. He graciously forgiven has forgiven us all these things. <coughs> we have a forgiveness <coughs> that is simultaneous to our being made alive together with him it's not something that we are trying to attain to someday i hope god will forgive me for my wicked sins he has forgiven you past present and future and lest i quote my father-in-law twice in the same sermon when he was saved at eight years old he said most of my sinning was ahead of me he lived to be 76 i think it was um, and most of his sinning was, I mean, that was humbling to him. He was all, I need the Lord Jesus Christ more than anybody, because it's just, wow. God gives. God is the one who graciously uh, gives life. He is the one who graciously takes away our sin. This word here trans- translated graciously given is a lot of times talking about um a granting, like a you know, giving something to somebody. For example, Jesus in Luke 7, verse 21 says, he granted sight to many people. Now, that's a good, good gift, right? He granted sight. Uh, and yet, if we understood it that way in this verse, he granted us transgressions. God does not give transgressions. He does not give sin to us. We're guilty of our own sin because of our disobedience, because of our father, Adam. We're sons of Adam and daughters of Eve and so forth. Uh, God does not give sin. So we have a different understanding. But this, this word is used to describe graciously giving, like in Romans 8.32. Oh, that's a great verse. How can he, well, it says, uh, I'll back up to the beginning. He who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He gave us a son. What, what's daily bread? That's nothing. Let me, that's, you get that as a, as a bonus kind of thing, right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All this other stuff will be added to But the righteousness that is from God is only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God graciously gives to us. There are other uses of that word uh, bestowing. Philippians 2 verse 9 says God bestowed on Jesus the name which is above every name and other things like that. There's also This word is also used to describe handing over like in a, in a ju- judicial sense. Uh, when Paul talks about being handed over to the uh, his, uh, not oppressors, his uh, uh, critics or his uh, finds, people that were finding fault with him in, Genesis, in uh, Acts 25, he says, if none of these things is true of which these men accuse me, no one can can hand me over to them or deliver me over to them. Uh, we'll see it in this context. Next verse, in fact, talks about canceling a debt. Jesus talks, give a story about people who were forgiven. One owed a lot of money, one owed not so much. Uh, And Jesus says, when they they were both unable to repay the master, graciously forgive them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon, Peter answered rightly in this case, I suppose the one whom he graciously forgave more. So there's there's canceling of a debt even in this context of this idea of of, uh, graciously uh, giving to us. But there are 12 times in the New Testament where this word is used to describe forgiveness. That there was a a sin, there was a transgression, there was an offense back and forth, and we can forgive, graciously forgive, humanly speaking, but also God to us. In fact, let's see, where does God, uh, in fact, most of it's talking about our relationship to another. We should forgive one another graciously. We have been forgiven, so we can forgive one another. Colossians 3.13, we'll see it. Twice in the same verse, he says, We should graciously forgive one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgive you, you also should do toward others. Well, what does forgiveness do? You think we, we all seem to know what forgiveness is, and yet uh, we like it. We appreciate the idea, especially uh, maybe not when other, when we have to forgive other people because we'd like to get our fair share, you know, our due uh, penalty out of them. But when we need, when we've done something wrong, oh, please forgive me, right? What is a forgiveness? Uh, Many people would say, well, it's forgetting, even in human relationships, forgetting uh, a sin. I, you know, forgive and forget, right? It's hard to forget. It's not so, it's it's not, they're not the same thing, forgiveness and forgetting. Forgiving forgiving is the removing of guilt. It's the removing of guilt. I will not hold you liable for what you did any longer. Uh, And how can we do that? There's, there's a liability or a culpability. You are guilty, guilty, guilty. And yet, God is able to forgive us. We had uh, some missionaries in our home last week and uh, just enjoyed them very much. They send out a monthly email and one of them recently talked about a certain family member, I'll not name names because, you know, defend the guilty kind of thing. But uh, uh, the the person was guilty of a speed infraction, going too fast on the, on the highway and had to appear before the court. Now I'll use the masculine pronoun because that happens to be who the fellow was. Anyway, <clears throat> had to appear before the court. And how did she say? Good grief. Um, she said, the judge was short, friendly, elder woman, and didn't seem scary at all. And yet, every person who was there in that court that day, no matter what age or gender or, or who they you know, background whatever, every person without exception who stood before the little old lady, their voice shook and they quivered. Why? Because she had the power of the court, the power of justice against these... Just nasty people, speeders, right? Well, okay, uh, she had power and they were at her mercy. And it was hard for this lady to watch, uh, her beloved family member stand before her all alone and answer for his trespasses. It was also public. I mean, there he is. One person standing before the court. And guess what? The judge pronounced. It's okay. Go ahead. Oh, you're so sweet and so, no, this court finds you guilty. Oh, you want to melt right there and do a little puddle? This court finds you guilty, and the mama there says, it kind of took my breath away. Um, uh, she gave him a lecture on all this, and she says, it made me think of when we stand alone before God on Judgment Day and we have to account for our sins. I'm so glad that I can say that Jesus paid for my sins by his death on the cross, and I don't have to pay for them myself. Wow, do you ever have that? appreciation of what sin really is that we are guilty before the lord that apart from the righteousness of christ we are worthy of god's judgment and then do you realize wow i can be forgiven and not just forgiven but restored i mean it'd be one thing for god to say i'll forgive you your sin but i don't want to ever see your face in my court again no he never does that God forgives wicked, evil, hostile sinners and says, come on in. Come on into my banquet table. Join my family. I want to be a father to you. I want to have a relationship with you. Come and live with me. In fact, even the the perspective in the scripture so many times from the beginning to the end of the book, of the whole book of the Bible, is that God will come and dwell with us Not so much that we'll go be with him, that's that's true too, but the perspective is God will come down and dwell among a bunch of sinful, wicked people who are made righteous in Christ. That's just a tremendous reality. We don't deserve any of that. We deserve God's judgment, and yet graciously has forgiven these things. Now, this does not ignore or somehow undercut or minimize our guilt, that God can just somehow wave his hand and all sins are forgiven. no. Remember, God is a righteous judge. Somebody's got to pay the fine. Somebody has to do, do the jail time. Somebody has to be held guilty for the sin. Now, God says, I will forgive you, but you have to certain follow a certain pr- protocol. And really, the only protocol is turn from your sin and look to Christ. We think, oh, that's, that's too hard. Or maybe that's too easy. What else do I have to do? I mean, certainly, do I have to pay money? Do I, you know, do, when I come to church, do I have to dress a certain way? Uh, do I have to do no? Turn from your sin and look to Christ. Okay, but uh, just Christ or maybe some other? Can I bring in and can I do this and can, turn from your sin and look to Christ? You'll be saved and delivered. God is able to do it, not because we are somehow good or somehow He is setting His judgment and His justice aside. No. Jesus himself paid our fine. Jesus is the one who died for us and lives eternally. He is the one who has has made a way possible for us for our sins to be forgiven. He has graciously forgiven us all our transgressions. God is not going to remember our sins against us. You know, this is in Nehemiah, Ezra also talks about, but Nehemiah talks about this idea of remembering a sin against people. Sambal and Tobiah, they were really nasty people trying to undercut the whole idea of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And he, and God said, or excuse me, Nehemiah said, God, remember it against them for their evil, for their judgment, for their justice. And yet, almost, Nehemiah 13, he says, God, remember all the pains that I've suffered. Remember that to me for my good. So forgiveness is this idea. And we think, well, it should be forgiveness, forgetting stuff. No, forgiveness is not remembering against you. Not bring up that sinfulness, that offense, or that transgression that you committed back in the day. God is the one who turns his back on our sin. He turns away from that and says, I'm not going to remember that. Uh, he, so many times in Scripture we see this idea of blotting out all the transgressions, all the sinfulness, all the iniquities. Isaiah says, you, the Lord, has cast all my sins behind your back you don't look upon those anymore. You look toward Christ. You look at the righteousness that is available to him. Micah, beautiful prophet, says, who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging or the faithful covenant-keeping love. God is the one who pardons our iniquities. He heals all of our diseases. He is the one who not just in a judicial kind of uh, transcendent sense, but he's the one who comes right down into the whatever it's called in the in the physical court. You know where, where the where the um, the guilty person is, is seated. He comes right down in there and wipes away the tears from the eyes. And he is the one who says, "I will remove the reproach of my people from the earth." Yahweh has spoken. Whoa! I mean, we have judges. We have you know all these different courts. But this is God. This is Yahweh speaking. I have spoken. I'm going to take away the reproach of my people. I am the one. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Remember against our sins. How can God forget? I mean, he knows everything. Nothing is hidden from him, and yet he will not bring it up against us. He has graciously forgiven us. And notice it says here, by the way, notice how it went from he made you alive together, and now he says he made us alive together. He's moved from a, from a you guys perspective to an all of us perspective. And there's some variant readings as well there that you could read, but we're pretty well sure that he meant to say us here. Because if we're speaking of Gentile over there. He made you alive, Jews, Gentiles. He forgave us, all of us, Jew and Gentile-like. You can read Romans um, 2 and 3 for more uh, discussions about universal Sinfulness and, and uh, guilt before God. And yet he has graciously forgiven us, so all of us, all of our transgressions, not just some of them, not just uh, the ones that, that didn't offend Jesus you know, personally or the ones that were uh, you know, in a, in a scale, the minor infractions or uh, misdemeanors as opposed to felonies or whatever. No, he has forgiven us all the stuff from the highest high-handed sin to the lowest. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that or I was supposed to do this. Everything. He has graciously forgiven us every uh, p- possible thing completely and exhaustively without exception. All of our sins are buried in the depths of the sea. We are forgiven in Christ. Remember, we looked at this idea of transgressions in the first part of this verse. You're dead in your transgressions. This idea of knowing where the line is, where God's line of just, of uh, righteousness is, and then stepping over it. Not just a little bit, but just totally just bulldozing right through and say, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do this because it feels good, or I, I earned it, or I deserve it. I mean, this this transgression, you knew better. You knew that you shouldn't be doing this, and he is willing to forgive this. Repent of your sins. Look to Christ. These are violations of God's law. They go beyond God's commands. They trample over all of God's righteous, holy ordinances. I mean, the Gentiles did this to, like, almost to perfection and yet the jews also oh i just got finished reading judges oh you ever read judges before every man there was no king in israel so every man did what was right in his own eyes which was not a good thing you think oh well if they're left to their own devices they'll, they'll always choose the right thing to do Mm-mm. they turned aside so many different ways and yet god was gracious and forgave and raised up a good godly king over them that's the jewish people the Gentiles were far worse. The reason why God kept Israel in Egypt all those 400-some years was because the sin of the Amorite, the people in Canaan, was not yet complete. God was going to judge them. They had the witness. They had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob speaking about God. They heard, heard about them from their great-great-great-great-grandpappy Adam and Noah and all those other people, and yet they chose to forget about that and go their own way. God is able to forgive us our transgressions. Even us who were defiled, uh, we we were um, had seared consciences. We can't even respond well to God's righteousness. God, we we have no sense of right and wrong anymore. I mean, you read the newspaper, you hear, watch the news anymore. I mean, it's, it's almost breathtaking what kind of wickedness is going on. Oh, it's all good. It's fine. Just do it. And how dare you to stand in my way uh, uh, and not affirm it and and get out of my life? In fact, get off this earth. You're not welcome here anymore. I mean, what? How is that for tolerance? How in the world can God work with a bunch of sinful people like us? Now, lest we think, well, all those other people out there, let's start right here, a little bit more home. At home, that is to say, my own heart, am I walking worthy of Christ? Not not to say that I need to somehow earn his forgiveness. No, it's a gracious gift. And yet, because I am on this whole new, i mean, spiritually alive, I am born again, shouldn't we live differently? Shouldn't we have... Uh, god's Word in our hearts in our words, in our affections, the things that we desire, the things how we spend our time uh, how we what we do on our devices, how we uh, cultivate relationships, whatever relationships they might be we want to honor the Lord who bought us I mean part of this whole salvation thing is redemption we were in the uh a situation of condemnation, of separation from God, and he came in and bought us, redeemed us, set us on a sure foundation. Unless we think I'm on the sure foundation, from here I'm better able to reach back into my sinful past and kind of enjoy that a, a little bit more. What? You're going to reach back from your position in Christ, going after the, the folly, the, the foolishness, the wickedness of sin? No, he has graciously forgiven us all our transgressions. How can he do this? It's because Christ died for us. Christ is the one who paid our penalty. We'll see this very carefully in the next verse. He canceled out. God the Father canceled out that certificate of debt. All the the fines, all the penalties, all the felonies, misdemeanors, and transgressions, iniquities, uh, trespasses. I mean, remember all those words we looked at last week? Different ways that sin is described and and portrayed. And yet he has forgiven us all these things because Christ uh, did it for us. Uh, Romans 3, this is an extended passage, let me just read it for you because you think, well, wait a minute, we we had all those, I mean, the Jewish system of, of uh, sacrifices and bulls and goats and the Day of Atonement even was uh, a day for the salvation of the people. And even going back to Genesis 4 when Cain and Abel offered their sacrifices to God, God did not regard the sacrifice of Cain because it was vegetables, uh, you know, produce of the ground, work of, of of Cain's hand. God did regard Abel's sacrifice because it was blood. It was death, of a substitutionary death. Uh, Paul says in Romans 3, verse 21, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even, what is it? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. There's no distinction. We all fall short. We're justified, verse 24, as a gift by his grace. But notice it says in verse 25, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance or patience of God or his long-suffering toward people, verse 25 says, because of his forbearance, uh, because of the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. He passed over. Is that like the Passover? Well, it's the idea of not counting our trespasses against us. Uh, He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness right now, which is to say... That he would be the just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. What is he saying there? That's what I said last week. Abel looked forward to Christ. Abraham looked forward to Christ. Moses looked forward to Christ. Aaron, all the sacrifices that Aaron and all the high priests and all the Levites offered through all those hundreds and thousand years or so, uh, was looking forward to Christ. The blood of bulls and of goats did not cover sin, did not accomplish forgiveness. Jesus said it. Um, well, yeah, he said it in John 10. I won't read the whole passage, but John 10, he says, you come to me, I will give you life. I lay down my life for the sheep and so forth. But in Hebrews chapter 9, and I would love to unpack this more, but he says, Romans, uh, Hebrews 9, that the verse 12 says, not through the blood of bulls and goats, Jesus didn't enter, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And he says, verse thirteen: If the blood of bulls and goats, goats and bulls, and the ashes of heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more, with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In other words, all the sacrifices, all the, the substitutionary death of the animals, looked forward to Christ. And even if you read in Ezekiel. 40 to 48, you read about some sacrifices that are going to be done in what I think is the Millennial Temple, a thousand year time, and you think, why are they offering and sacrificing bulls and goats again? Because those ones look back to what Christ has done. Whereas the Old Testament stuff looked forward to Christ, those future ones look back to Christ. Christ is our Savior. Christ is our sanctifier. How can God be just and the justifier of those who put their faith in God? God is holy, he is good, he is righteous, and yet Christ became sin. Christ became sin for us. God is able to, or did, put our guilt on the Lord Jesus Christ. He never did anything that was uh, disobedient, disrespectful to his father. And so his death was not because he deserved it. The wages of sin is death. Well, he never sinned. He didn't earn death. He died in our place. He laid down his life for us. How do we receive that benefit, this graciously forgiven our sins, well, we repent of our sins and we come to Christ. We return to him. It says here that uh, Psalm 86, verse 5 says, You, uh, Lord, or Yahweh, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Call upon him. He says, I don't have his number. I don't know where he lives. Call out to him. He listens. If there's anything he listens to, he doesn't listen to the prayers of wicked people, in, in, insolent and rebellious people, but he does listen to the prayer of repentance. I mean, even Ahab, you read about that? Ahab repented, and God said, hey, everybody, did you just see what Ahab did? Ahab was wicked and despicable. I don't know that we'll see him in heaven, but even in his, that moment of repentance, God was took attention to it and belayed the the uh, disease that was upon him, and other people as well who, who repented and turned to Christ. God is abundant and loving kindness to all who call upon him. He is the one who says, Look to Christ. Return from your sins. Look to Christ. 1 John nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has done this. We rejoice in it. We come to Christ. We look to Christ alone for our salvation and our hope. He is the only one with whom we have forgiveness. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your love and kindness and mercy. We're thankful for the abundant redemption we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Please help us to cling to him, not come clinging to him also bringing along our baggage of works or what we've have done or what we haven't do or our family heritage or our lineage or or uh, the money that we have in our hand or no, simply to your cross we cling what Christ has done his death Burial and resurrection on our behalf. We pray that each soul here present this morning would have their whole confidence in you, putting their faith only in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then, of course, growing in him and wanting to please him with everything that we are. We are so grateful that you have not left us as orphans, you've not forgiven us and then cast us away from your presence, but you said, come right on in and enjoy the fruit of my son's labor. Not what we've done, but what Christ has done. Thank you for each one who's here. Please do and continue your work of kindness and of uh, regeneration, sanctifying us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.